Welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, hello, and a very warm welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. This one is the second of a two-part series of live interviews that I recorded at Procurement Summit in Hamburg, Germany, back in June. If you haven't checked out the first one yet, it was published two weeks ago, and you can find it in the podcast back catalog. In that one, we spoke to seven different procurement tech companies, six startups, and one very established player in this space. This week on this week's podcast, we're going to be talking to three different procurement professionals who I spoke to at the event, who each have their different angle and different take on the digital procurement landscape. So without any further ado, let's roll with the first interview. And that is with Tanya Hida, who is Head of Commodity Group Procurement at ThyssenKrupp Bilstein. And Tanya shares her story about how she grew her career starting out as a purchasing clerk and working her way up through internal promotions, really showing that there's proof that it's possible to grow without going down the traditional university degree straight after school route. And we discuss how this mix of operational and now strategic experience has really helped to shape Tanya's career. And while Tanya has only been in her current role for a few months, we also talk at length about some of the considerations for how to approach shaping a digital procurement strategy when starting a completely new position in a new company. So roll the interview with Tanya. So now for something a little bit different. We've spoken to a lot of startups here at Procurement Summit over the two days that we've been here. But I've now been joined actually by a lady who has a corporate background and is very, very new in her role, just started in March as head of procurement. And we're going to talk a little bit about her background, but also looking to the future. How do you build out and put together a strategy of how you would like to digitalize procurement? And, you know, what do you need to learn? What do you need to find out? What do you need to take into consideration uh, along that journey? It's always nice to have a real-life case study. So, Tanya Vida from ThyssenKrupp, a very warm welcome to the ProcureTech podcast and to our podcasting camper van. Thank you. So, tell me a little bit about your background, first of all, because when we were chatting before we hit record, it's a bit more unconventional to the typical procurement manager that, goes to university and then, you know, finds a job as a graduate trainee. You, you started from, from the ground up, right? Yes, I started from the ground up. I did not what, what everybody is doing in this area. That means like I, I did not in a classic way study or um, I don't have um, a higher degree in that because I started only working. And uh, 
uh, it was more like a surprise to start in procurement because in the past there was um, not a good time um, to, to get a job as a young person. It was in the early 2000s. We had a little bit of crisis on, on the working market. And um, yeah, I started then in procurement because I, I got a job. And uh, for me, it was um, the best decision ever because then I started my journey in procurement. Yeah. So what was your first role then when you, when you entered the workforce? And then how did you then transition into procurement? So I, I started, yeah, with, with the basics. So I did uh, a little bit of negotiations on um, office material, for example. Yeah. And um, I um, did a little bit of distribution or I looked for, for the numbers, for the planning, for the forecast. It was more like material planning. Um, this was my start in, in the first way. And then I, I developed that because, um, yeah, in the last years, I, I worked in a lot of companies uh, in, in different areas. That means like I was in mechanical engineering, for example, or in, in the area of um, yeah, energy. I worked um, for, yeah, a little bit special um, bikes. <laughs> this was uh, fitness. It, it was a really interesting way because I um, worked in a lot of different areas. And I could learn from, from these companies a lot. So I have a bigger picture of different areas and ways or kind of work in procurement. And I think that for anyone that's listening is a great story because one of the things that we as procurement people always complain about is that stakeholders don't take us seriously or don't respect us or, 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 or don't involve us. And while to some extent, that is true. You're always going to have difficult stakeholders that think they know everything. I think we're also part of the problem that, and, and I say we as the bigger we, there are too many procurement people that sit in a corporate office, that never go out onto the shop floor, that never speak to Dave in maintenance or, or, or Emily in, as, uh, in marketing, as a marketing assistant to understand, in the words of the Spice Girls, what they really, really want. Yeah, procurement is much more to, to uh, clean your desk. Yeah, and yeah. and be every time there, and no, um, you don't. You have to be there where the business is. That means like if you're in procurement and you do, uh, for example, technical procurement, you you buy engineered parts. Uh, you have to be there where the engineered parts are. Otherwise, you you can't do your job. You have to to get deep dives in, um, in the technical background into the parts. You have to understand the business, and uh, it's really important uh, to be there. Otherwise, I think it's it's not um. You're not able to, to get a deep dive and to do your job as you have to. So walk me through then. So you recently started your new role. Just to, for the purpose of the listeners, just tell them what, what it is that you're doing and when you started and what really your goals and objectives are in terms of why you were brought into that role. I started on 1st March, as, as you told. I'm at ThyssenKrupp-Bierstein now. We're an automotive company. So... Yeah, and uh, there are a lot of tasks to do. Um, I have a team um, with um, global commodity managers. So it's a structure, it's international um, all over the world. That, that's really great. Yeah, it's a global structure. And um, yeah, sure, we have a lot of tasks as other companies have um, as, as the same at the moment. So that means like we have uh, digitalization uh, projects and topics. Um, we have processes we have to optimize. You, you have... Every time we're working with people, you have every time uh, topics with, with leading. Yeah, that's, that's always the same. So yeah, there are a lot of tasks at the moment. Um, we, we talk about strategic topics. Um, and what is procurement in future? This is a, a big question. So how, how many do people do you have in your team? If you're looking all over the world, um, there are 40. And okay. uh, in, in a direct way, I'm leading three persons. 
and they have a cross-functional team all over the world. So you've got three direct reports and then 30-something that I assume then are doing a whole mix of strategic plus operational and tactical transactional procurement. Yeah, it's a matrix organization. And do you have any, other than an ERP system, do you currently have any digital tools in place that are, that are, that are in situ or are you starting from a, a blank sheet of paper? No, no, not a blank sheet. So um, we are working with um, different systems, mainly SAP, as other yeah. companies doing as well. And uh, we are implementing tools or we implemented tools. We are working with and have, um, we, we digitalize our, uh, our processes so far. So there is, um, yeah, a lot of space for optimization as well. Yeah, because um, we, we have to add that. Yeah, that means like um, the status is okay. Um, we are working our daily process with that, but um, every day um, we are working on um, to to get this together a bit more in detail. That means like um, we optimize, I think, each week um, a lot of in, in these tools um, to get it more practical for our process. So if it's obviously digitalization is just one pillar of a whole bunch of things that you're responsible for as a as a head of, but. In terms of the general approach, are you looking at it more from a leveraging IT and building something in-house or is definitely your strategy to go out and buy a software as a service cloud-based type of product? So um, we, we bought um, different tools, but as well, we are de- developing on our own. So that means like we have some um, own tools we created. That means like um, we had dashboards, Power BI. Um, these are tools we're working with um, uh, but as well, we we bought tools and we digitalized um, our our processes with it. And when we look at some of the challenges that everyone's facing right now, I mean, there's a whole raft of them, isn't it? Whether you're looking at sustainability or supply chain challenges or just you know not having enough people to do what needs to be done. What approach are you taking? Are you are you taking the approach that first of all you need to automate some of the more transactional tasks to free up your team to to do more value-added work or, or, or is it more a fact of you're looking to, to leverage things like AI and machine learning to get better market intelligence and to, uh, and, and, and to have a more structured sourcing or contract management process? Because there are two different approaches, right? You can yeah. either say, okay, let's tackle the transactional stuff first so as my people have more time to do what they need to do, but yeah. then not every operational buyer has the skill set and the desire to move up. So... It's kind of like a game of chess to navigate, you know, who's capable of doing what, isn't it? Yeah. I'm working with strategic people. So the task is to do strategic work and procurement. Yeah. So at, at the moment, uh, for me, is is too much operational work in that case. That means like we need slim processes and digitalization will, will help us with that. So I see a lot of changes, uh, changes and I see a lot of um, possibilities to get that done. So at the moment, we are in a, in a in a transformation process, sure. So it's not like that we don't have this this um, administration work we have on our desk. But this is yeah. something I like to change in future because I want that uh, the people in procurement are doing what what their job is. And it's like we we are working. I'm I'm in a commodity, so yeah. we are doing strategic work, and I don't want to have this operational work on on the desk. So the people have to do strategic work. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, would you um, would you would you hire a lawyer and then and then get them to photocopy documents? Of course, you mm-hmm. wouldn't. They've got a paralegal or an assistant that does that. And yet, in procurement, we have category managers that spend. My own personal experience, I spend between a third and a half of my time doing tasks that 
I could have outsourced to someone for probably 15 euros an hour. Yeah, sure. For me too in the last year. So I, I worked a, a long time as a buyer by myself, strategic buyer, commodity buyer, project buyer, choose something. Yeah. And it was always the same. Um, it was, yeah, you did strategic work and um, you worked in, out in projects, sure. But um, there were a lot of uh, administration work. And um, this is, we, we don't need that in future. I think we have a lot of possibilities to change that, to get slim processes and um, uh, to, to be more strategic and focus on the topic. Because um, look at the situation on, on the market, but what's coming in from, from the outside. Yeah, we have a lot of tasks. There are a lot of uh, new rules in future. Yeah, we are looking for, for environment topics. We are looking for crisis. So we learned a lot, I think, in, in the last two years on um, what happened. Nobody supposed that, but it was like, uh, hello, good morning. This is a real world. So I think it, it was a long time in procurement. Um, we, we slept a little bit. So, and with this crisis, um, I think we, we learned a lot. So it, it depends on what kind of risk management do you have? Are you prepared for, for some crisis? And uh, I think we, we could learn a lot from this time. It was hard. It was a lot of firefighting and, uh, yeah, disruptions in, in a supply chain. Um, we, we had to learn to handle that. And this is the future. Yeah, for, for me, it's not only like a buyer in a classical way, um, um, as you bought in the past, only parts. Yeah, it was never like that. But now we have a lot of risk management as well. We need to be prepared. Yeah, we, we need a good structure and uh, we, ne we need a good, well-prepared risk system um, for, for this crisis. And this is something uh, a manager and procurement has to handle now. Definitely. And you're going to need to use digital tools to be able to get to grips with all of that. Just a little bit of music in the background. I hope this doesn't affect the sound quality too much. The joys of broadcasting from a conference when you're interviewing someone live. So if we think of all the procurement technology solutions out there, it's a little bit like walking down the aisle of a really posh supermarket when you walk down the wine aisle. There are all of these nice, expensive wines and some cheaper wines that are very, very tempting, but you've got a limited budget, you've got limited mm -hmm. resources, you have to prioritize something. So coming into a role, Greenfield, you said you started in March, so about four months in, and recognizing that a lot of your team are spending time on, you know, not doing P2P work, but spending a lot of time on firefighting and operational stuff. If you were looking at a digital tool, what's the, what would be pretty top of, pretty much close to the top of the list in terms of what you want it to do? Yeah. I want to be faster and, uh, I want to be, um, more transparent and, uh, I, I really want to have more resource for the main topic. So that means like, um, the standard processes with suppliers, we, we, um, have a tool now we are working with and we digital face uh, all our processes in this way. Um, for, for the daily work. So, um, it is really interesting because, um, I think, um, the market and yeah, it, it is changing, but, um, a lot of companies, um, are, are not working with that so far. So you have, it is really different. You have suppliers or companies which, uh, who have own tools. Yeah. And this is, um, as well a task to get them together, um, to, to, um, have this uh, transparent way for, for both sides. But as well, you have um, companies who, who don't like, yeah, it's, it's for me, it's a lot of efforts. I need to learn that tool. I need a person who is filling that in. And for them, it's like, um, I think they, they did not understand or they are on, a, on another level um, in, in that kind of often small companies. Yeah. And uh, this is um, something 
I think it will change in, in the next years because more and more companies sure work working in this way. This is the future. And uh, we have to learn that. But I think if you have maybe 80% at, at the end, we're working with that. Um, yeah, we are on another point on our journey in that. So um, we, we have a digital procurement then, but it needs some time, I think, at this point. And what do you say in terms of when you go out and choose a solution, what are the most important characteristics of that solution? Is it, is it user experience, price, speed of implementation, ability for it to be, uh, ability for it to be customized for, for your individual needs? What, what is it that you would specific, specifically? Everything, everything of that. Yeah, it's important. Sure. Um, there, there you go. Procurement tech companies. Every, everyone that's buying your solution wants the moon on a stick. So I'm, I'm not buying this in a direct way. Yeah, we have a, a procurement for this as well. I'm, I'm working for direct materials, but yeah. for sure, we, we're talking about that um, in, in this area and we are looking for slim processes. Sure. For me, it's like, I think always about uh, a lot does not help a lot. Yeah. It is not the way that we are working. I, I don't see that, that we are working um, with, with four or five tools. No, it is find the right solution or um, a limited budget. Sure. And use something which is really useful for yourself and your process for your company. And I think this is really individual. So um, I took a walk around uh, yesterday in this area. Um, and for me, it was nothing. I, I was surprised because I, I was hopeful that I can find something I don't know so far. But no, n- nothing changed so far. I think um, we, are, we are on a journey, but I'm, I'm really interested for the future in uh, KI. So this, this could be really interesting, but on this point for me is not the level that is developed like that I can use that, what is, what is in my head, yeah? what, what I want to do in future. So um, there's no change so far. And okay, yeah, what, what we have now is what, what we have and what we know. So in terms of AI, then you're saying you've not seen anything that you can immediately translate into a problem that it could solve for you with what, with yeah. what, with what you've seen from the experience. Yeah, for me. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like uh, a chatbot, for example. Yeah, it is. It is nice for sales. I think this is this is really a support. But in procurement, though, for me, it's I. I don't see a benefit because we have EDI, we have API. These are benefits uh, for us, but um, this is admin work as well. This is uh, really administration work. This is um, yeah, operational. But if if I look for the strategic work, where is the support? This is complicated because it is not like a standard answer or there's not like a standard topics. Each day is, is, is not the same. You have tasks every day and they are totally different. And um, so far, there's nothing, I think, which can support that in, in the way you like to support that to get more slim process. I think there is. We have to have a chat offline. But yeah, the, but I think from what Tanya said just there, and I talk about this all of the time, when I was putting together procurementsoftware.site and I looked at over 300 websites of procurement tech companies, I looked at a lot of them, read them two or three times, and then still at the end of it, I thought, what do they do? And I just think that me- the messaging yeah. I often is just not really resonating. And you're a perfect example of it. It's not really resonating with, with their target buyers. So that, that's, a, that's a really cool insight because I think there are companies out there that can do what yeah. you want to do. I mean, we, yeah. we've not spoken about it in detail, but mm. I genuinely think there are companies that can that can solve your problems, but they're yeah. just not expressing themselves the way that they need to. That's really good insight. Yeah. So we're talking about the standards. Yeah, for sure. You can um you can work with a company, you can 
uh, spend a lot of money and then you have a solution you like to have. Sure, this is possible. But um, we talk about limited budget for sure. And if you're looking around, for me, it's like um, a lot of companies with a lot of solutions and products. But for me, the standard I see, it is, it is for me at this time not a benefit for my area because all what I need, I have. And these are the, how can I say, the standards? Yeah, working with EDI, working with API, um, working with a digitalized tool um, to build up standard processes, the communication with suppliers, the standard communication. Yeah, this is, this is implemented. So for me, there is no special or, or nothing new. A lot of tool I found, I, I can say, okay, this is uh, for me something which is useful now at this time. Got it. Mm. Tanya, it's been a real insight getting your thoughts and concerns and observations and wishes as, uh, as someone that's new in role and has got, uh, and, and has got, you know, well, not time, but has got the energy to, you know, build it, build on what's already been done and, and take the digitalization journey further. So thank you for joining me and being on the show. Yeah, many thanks for this possibility to have um, this discussion. Thank you. Next up, I speak to Nina Bomberg. Uh, Nina is Director of Global Indirect Procurement at Dorma Carba. And Nina and I have actually known each other for a while and we always bump into each other at conferences. And last time I met Nina back in September, she had just changed jobs and had entered what was really a greenfield role at the time in a relatively immature procurement organization. So it was great to have the opportunity to catch up with Nina to really reflect back on the last nine or so months since she started her new position, especially from a digitization standpoint and how she's had to triage some of the requirements and priorities around putting together a digital strategy. And our final interview of the day here from Procurement Summit with another procurement leader that I've managed to grab from the conference floor and bring into my very, very hot camper van where we're doing our podcast recording, Nina Bomberg from Dormacaba. Welcome to my little studio. Hi, say, hi, James. Thanks for having me. And it was Great to actually get you in here because you you started a new role on September last year. So you're now nine months in. So Tanya, who I spoke to earlier, is like three, four months in and still sort of, you know, looking into the headlights like a rabbit a little bit thinking, you know, what do I need to get to grips with? You've had the joy of having that little bit longer to sort of really get to know the environment that you're in and some of the challenges and some of the pros and cons of of what you've landed in since you started your new role. So obviously with a focus on the digital side, walk me through a little bit what you found on day one and, and sort of where you're at now. Well, I have to say what I found really was an amazing team. That's good. <laughs> it, it is. It was a great start with no tools at all to work with. So they were doing their best um, with their to their ability. And the great thing was that bunch of them had also only recently joined. Um, so they joined maybe six months, nine months before I did. So they still had a very fresh eye and a very fresh look onto the whole thing. So they could onboard me really quickly on what's missing because they came from different environments where they said, you know, I've had this in the past, that, that, that. I want, I want some of that back. So we've, I, I could really hit the ground running with, with what was needed. And, and in a nutshell, it was everything. It was literally everything because, so we have 79 different ERP. Wow. 
I so, think that's a record. <laughs> so whenever somebody asks me, like, which which ERP do you work on? I can rightfully say every All one. of them. So how many locations do you have? Somewhere knows of 100. Wow. It is, it is a bunch of... 100 locations, 70, 90 ERPs. That's yes. a pretty decentralized organization, or it was, I guess. Yeah, it, it is. But that's the thing if you grow, if you grow through M&A, yeah. but you don't do any post-merger integration. Okay. And you let all of them run as they are because they're functional. And then you at some point realize you've grown so big and never integrated anything that you don't really know what you have. So I have about 200 million spend of which I can barely tell you whether it's a tax consultant or toilet paper. Right. So I don't know the answer to this, but that would say to me, just looking at it from the outside in, then spend analytics is probably top priority. It is. And that was actually, I started in September and by the end of October, um, I said that is going to be the first thing that I need. I need a better view on spend and having a maverick buying quota of about 40%. Wow means that I'm not going to get it through POs. I, I'm not going to get that information through POs. So it's not a question. And yes, of course, we have POs with poor quality, but the lack of them is much, much bigger problem. So I said fixing it on the front end is going to take forever. And we will eventually have to fix it on the front end, no doubt. But you're right. The first thing we wanted was an analytics tool that can retrospectively at least classify this spend so we know what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because if you're dealing with a lot of non-PO spend that you only even get an idea of what it is when the invoice lands on AP's desk, it's you need something then that's going to be able to pull from ERP systems, but also from finance, from accounting systems as well, to be able to even start to build up a single source of truth. Yeah, and again, most of the most of the ones that are used to dealing with more complex cases, I guess, can do that. But how do you go about doing your due diligence on them? Because like, I guess once you get above a certain amount of spend or a certain price point, they will all do that. But did you find that some of them couldn't be your requirements or how, how far are you on the journey? See, and that's one thing I also had to learn. I was hoping we'd be done by now. And, and unfortunately, we're not. So we were quite a, quite a way down the road. And then we realized um, that the scope had, during talking to these providers, the scope had grown so much that the procurement excellence team said, actually, you know what? We have blown up the scope so much that we need to step back, get back to the drawing board, get our real requirements and split them into must-haves and nice-to-have so that we can get the best provider and not just the provider that, you know, whatever, presented the best dog and pony show. And then we can move on and implement something that's really worth worth it. And that's that's the best fit for what we're looking for. It's really cool to hear you saying that because one of the things that I've got on my to-do list as like as a, as a free download that we're going to put on the website is, is exactly that, is to have a matrix where if you need to know what features you really, really need and which ones are nice to have, to, to be able to pit them against one another and say, okay, if that one beats the other one, then mark it as a two. If the other one beats it, mark it as a zero. Or if they're equal, mark it as a one. Very simple analysis, but it, it forces you then to pick one over the other. Because inevitably, even if you go out and buy the most expensive analytics tool on the planet, it's not going to give you everything that you want. No, no. And, and we all have different needs. We all have different priorities. So for me, for example, classifying that spend is utterly important because I'm not going to get to the point where I have POs for everything and have good data and I've got quality POs. So for me, that is more important than, I don't know, having 
whatever, the prettiest dashboard or having the best benchmark data in there against which I can benchmark my dashboard, for example. It's a nice to have and it's interesting what industry standard is for X value X, Y, Z. But my priority is for now understanding my spend. So what's next? I mean, you had to go back and take a bit, and take a bit of a rain check and go back and, and sort of reconvene and reconsider. So where do you go from here? And that's really where we are now. So we have now talked to all the stakeholders um, and we've actually involved more of the stakeholders uh, than we did in the first round because um, we now said that we also want to do our savings reporting in there. Ah, okay. Which then, you know, it was one of the things where we said, well, we're doing that on SharePoint right now. It's really bothersome. It's not, you know, it, it's a SharePoint. That's not what it was meant to do. So we, we said, okay, if we're going to take all the numbers into the system, then we also want the savings numbers in that system. So we're now involved in controlling more because our savings get approved by controlling before they get recorded. So we also need workflows in there. So these kinds of things, that's what we're building right now. And then we're going back to the long list and say, okay, now these are our real requirements um, versus what we thought in the past, which was more of a nebulous idea of what we wanted. Yeah. So do you think you might end up buying two solutions then? Or is that sort of a must-have that you need to do everything in one? No, I think that is a must-have because okay. from what we have seen, um, I think there are various uh, providers out there that can do it. I mean, should we absolutely not find somebody who can do it, we would probably also diverge from that. But um, from the first plans we've had, I'm pretty positive that there are options out there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, at least at, at least at a first level to be able to capture hard savings and then other stuff, you know, cost avoidance, market increases may be different. But yeah, yeah, I would agree. Okay, cool. So what do you think your roadmap is from here in terms of timing? See, and, and I, again, I want to say, so with every one of them we talk to, and we always ask them, like, what's your implementation time? And, and, I, and they always said, you know, six weeks, maybe eight. And, and, and then they looked at us and said, how long, you know, how long do you need? And I said, well, six months, maybe eight. Because that's usually the problem. I mean, every time we work with our smaller companies, they're never the bottleneck, no. ever. It's always, it's always the big corporations that are, unwilling to take the decision, incapable of providing the little IT resources that these companies need to implement, um, to set up their systems, to configure them to our needs. Um, so it's these two bottlenecks really that we always need to go through. And in the past, I would have said, you know, this should be, should be done in two months. With my experience now, I want to say if we get it live in the fourth quarter of this year, I think that's pretty optimistic as well. If you've got, what, 76, did you say, ERP systems? Well, but yeah. it's not about integrating all of them in one go. And it's not about, um, we're not even talking about a life integration or anything. I, that's also one of the things, because we said there are so many, um, we're not going to build connectors to all of them. Um, but we really, and we're not looking for real-time data, because especially in indirect procurement, I don't need real-time data. If I op- upload a flat file once a month, that will be enough. Just to be able to get it generated once per month. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on, because I know there's one sort of spend analytics offering specifically that is doing this that does sort of spend analytics as a service and does tailspan spend management alongside that. And I, I thought that was a cool model, sort of offering a PAAS service alongside, you know, obviously the SaaS product. What are your thoughts on that? I, I do think it's a, it's, a cool, it's a cool idea because I, I really think um, C-spend is, is overrated. It's, it's something you need, but it's not something you should spend a whole lot of time on. It's something that, it's a hygiene factor. It's yeah. only annoying if, you're, if it's missing or if it's not working, but it's not where you're saving the big bucks. It's not where you should. 
No, it's not where the big savings are, but it's where most of the most of the noise is, right? It's uh, 80% of your problems come from tail spend, not from humane suppliers. And really it's about, in that case, about speed of process and making an ease of process. So Making sure they get paid. <laughs> yes, yes. And all the hours that I can give back to the corporation by making that process easy. And self-serving so you don't have to have your team spending time on it as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't want my team spending lots of time on it, but I also don't want the people on the shop floor spending lots of time on it because they shouldn't be sitting at front of a laptop. They should be on the shop floor. That's what they do. But they're the ones who need a lot of the C parts because they need all the MROs and so on. Exactly. That's what, yeah, Dave or Holger in Germany in maintenance needs to needs to be able to go onto a smartphone app when, when he's covered in oil and to be able to order a component part. Likewise, Emily in marketing or or an HR admin needs to be able to go and order a flip chart or, or promotional material through an app and not through, you know, re, a, a really cumbersome ERP system. Correct, correct. Yeah. And that's really the time, and that's the place, I think, where indirect procurement can give back much more to the organization than the last 3% on the price of a flip chart if Emily can do it in 5 minutes versus 25 minutes. Exactly, yeah. Eliminate and automate, yeah. Yes. Nina, thank you for joining me. Wish you a successful rest of your uh, procurement summit and uh, hopefully we'll see we'll see each other again in Barcelona at Procurecon. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today. And I have to say, the bus is not half as hot as you think. It's a lot warmer. <laughs> Good to know. And finally, I spoke to Mario Brogman. Uh, Mario is based in Switzerland and is a freelance interim manager, typically taking on senior procurement and supply chain roles for a few months at a time to bridge hiring gaps or to manage special project requirements that the client brings him in to look at. Mario's other passion, though, is what he calls social procurement, which is really leveraging the power of social media to both build a personal brand in this space, but also, more importantly, to raise awareness and visibility of the procurement profession. I always love catching up with Mario. He's always so happy and cheerful whenever I meet him. So uh, hope you enjoy the interview. And we're continuing our interviews with procurement professionals with my good friend Mario Brugman from Switzerland. And we're going to be talking a little bit about what he calls social procurement. That is, how can procurement make themselves a little bit more prominent in their organizations and how can they get the attention that they deserve to get their projects implemented? So, Barry, a very warm welcome to a very hot podcasting band. Thank you very much. Great to be here, James. So, Mario, tell me a little bit about your career up until now and what made you go for this whole social procurement concept? <laughs> uh, most probably my craziness. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously in procurement since uh, more than 25 years. I uh, started as an electronics engineer and as many people in procurement, I actually came to procurement by accident. Um, but it all. Definitely, absolutely. But it was definitely a good accident, um, which means I kind of enjoyed it and uh, stayed in procurement. So I was always in companies um, with uh, with some kind of technical product, products, uh, electronics, mechanics, stuff like that, all, all kind of different stuff. I was uh, more than 10 years in telecommunication-oriented companies, uh, also more than 10 years in medical devices companies. And I was always responsible for procurement and supply chain functions, uh, leading departments across cross continents and stuff like that. So yeah, I would say procurement is really my passion. And uh, that's probably how I came to this uh, uh, social procurement idea. I mean, uh, on one side, I wanted to give 
procurement more of a voice on social media because I think there are many people selling on social media, but not many people uh, are really buying things. And I find it a bit boring if everyone is selling and no one is buying. So I think procurement deserves uh, uh, to be to be a bit more visible. On the other side, uh, what we are even doing is we even identify new suppliers uh, via uh, LinkedIn. Um, so we basically teach the procurement people also how they can leverage the power of LinkedIn in order to really find new suppliers by doing their own search posts. And that uh, works pretty well. And we, we came across that by accident as well. Um, on a Sunday morning, I was, uh, uh, I was chatting with uh, Catherine Kubisch. She is from Germany and is today my co-founder um, of the initiative. I was actually sourcing in a, in a category which I never had to source before. I needed uh, huge rollers for, for, for machinery industry. The company I was uh, working for at that time was, um, they actually said, you know, we know all the suppliers in that field and there are only four of them. And I actually said, well, that's not going to be true most probably. So I, dis- I discussed with her on a Sunday morning and said, hey, you know what? I probably just shouted out on LinkedIn and asked whether someone knows more of those suppliers. We did a search post and we got four, four additional suppliers. So we doubled the supply markets with just one simple search post. And uh, that's how social procurement was born. So it's almost then the antithesis to digital procurement in that you're kind of then challenging the need for having a supplier search or supplier scouting tool just by saying, if you have, okay, it's obviously not going to work if you only have 50 connections and you never post anything. But if you've got, if you take the time to build and grow and nurture a good network within the procurement community, then you can very much leverage that when you're in a bit of a pickle and you need to find you know, a new supplier or new source of supply for something and, and maybe a new category that you're just picking up and you don't really know very well or, or one-time project work. Exactly. I'm, I'm not challenging the, the need for a scouting tool or something like that because I, we, we are never intending to replace, but we think it's an add-on, right? I mean, it's not that since I do social procurement, I do nothing else. I mean, I, I, I still have all my other sources that I'm, that I'm, that I'm using if I really have to source uh, for, for new suppliers or for a new category. That's not a question at all. But I just think it's one additional way which, um, which we can use. And it's actually free. I mean, you, you don't even need a, a yeah. paid LinkedIn account or something like that. It's there anyway. And the whole networking itself um, has so many advantages that I just say this is just one more advantage that you should actually use. And what's, what's really interesting, I mean, I did probably... Uh, roundabout in, uh, across the past few years, I did probably something like uh, 25, 30 search posts and uh, a, a lot of people from our network did their own. And it's actually pretty interesting because there was never, ever a search post without, without the result. I mean, we, we always, <laughs> always identified at least one new supplier. So we've always you helped us to kind of reduce the blind spot because there will be a blind spot any, anyway all the time. But, uh, but we just try to so if someone's thinking, you know, it would, I would really like to network a little bit more with procurement professionals, either, either on LinkedIn or at conferences or through professional bodies, what, what tips or what advice would you give to someone that's maybe not invested much time and effort into, into doing this before, but now has, has realized that they, you know, really need to do more of it if they're starting from zero? Uh, on a, in, a, in, a first, uh, in a first step, it definitely all starts with the profile. Many people... Um, including myself, have a profile since a long time. Uh, I opened my LinkedIn profile in uh, 2008. Wow. I always had a profile, 
but nothing else. I mean, it was always filled with my CV, but it was really for me, LinkedIn was a CV repository, um, <laughs> which is absolutely not the idea behind it. But of course, in 2008, LinkedIn was also quite different. New, yeah, yeah, to say. Yeah. So I basically just opened the account and, and, and had the account there for a long time. And then as part of, a, of, a, of an MBA I did, I, I, I did a, a digital masterclass. So it was one of the specializations I did. And we had to, to learn stuff about social media and actually all the other business to consumer social media channels were not really interesting for me because I was always in a business to business field. So actually for me, it was clear, okay, let's do something with LinkedIn. And to be honest, in the beginning, I thought, well, you know, I will just have to make one essay with that and then I'm done. And somehow it catch my attention. So I figured out that it is much nicer and much more powerful than I thought before. And, uh, and, and I started to engage more and to really network with people. And to kind of make a combination, you know, I, I like very much the combination. I mean, I, for example, you, I follow you on LinkedIn, but I also meet you on conferences. I know you in person and it's kind of, you know. And you can put that to, and if you recognize someone's profile from LinkedIn, you're much more likely to go and speak to someone at a conference. Whether, Absolutely. And that goes, I guess, not only if you're a, if you're a buyer, but also if you're, if you work in sales or marketing for a software company exactly. and you want to have a strong and natural connection with a potential prospect, they're much more likely to talk to you at a conference if you're already connected with them on LinkedIn. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's also vice versa. You know, you meet someone at a conference, you exchange your, your, your LinkedIn. And then you follow the conference. Basically, yeah. then, you, then you follow up with the, with the person, you will actually see that there is much more than what you have been talking on the conference these 10, 15 minutes. Um, you know, it, you, you've got to learn the, the, the strong points of this, of this person. Um, and, 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 and sooner or later, uh, uh, you know, one, one of you might, might add value to the other or ending up in your boss here, right? Expecting. <laughs> Love it. So with that said, I think we're all going to go and get an ice cream. Mario, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And that rounds off the very action-packed two days that I had at Procurement Summit in Hamburg back in June. Uh, just wanted to give a shout out to Paulina and Sebastian from the organization team uh, for really believing in the opportunity of how it would be cool to do some live podcast interviews from the exhibition floor and helping to facilitate everything. If you haven't been to Procurement Summit, especially if you're based in Central Europe or the German-speaking region, it's a great conference, much more fun and much less, less stiff and corporate than a lot of other conferences out there. Indeed, I would even say it has a little bit of a DPW vibe going for it as well. Lots of innovative new startups that are there that you probably wouldn't come across at other conferences. So it definitely gets a thumbs up from me. Uh, I would also just like to get your feedback as well that, you know, in the past, we've not really done that much in terms of interviewing practitioners to talk about their digitalization journey. And I'd like to do more of those interviews. So if you are a procurement practitioner who has had some successes or some very uh, so some very insightful lessons learned from your digital transformation journey, uh, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to be a guest as a practitioner, then please reach out to me uh, and it would be great to have a conversation and get you on some upcoming coming episodes 
that we're going to be putting out going into the fourth quarter. Thank you again for listening. There are a lot of procurement podcasts out there. So I definitely appreciate each and every one of you that helps to spread the word about the ProcureTech podcast. And until next week, take care, look after yourselves wherever you are in the world. And especially if you're in Europe, I hope you're surviving the very hot weather that we're currently experiencing in the part of the world where I'm based. Take care and bye for now. 